If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with MyBookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast. Uh, MWWire.com is where you can read all of our stuff. You can get the podcast there, as well as Spotify, iTunes, uh, TuneIn, I think Stitcher, right, Matt? Anywhere else we can get the podcast? Just search it up, I guess. Your podcasting platform of choice, let's say. Which, uh, for me, is Pocket Cast, which is very enjoyable, and I love it, so... Get it there too, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this weekend, you know how I've been not complaining but kind of saying, give me some good games, like close games, give me a good weekend of games. I think this weekend delivered for the most part. Some close games, some weird games, some exciting games, right? Yeah, I think, you know, Scott Van Pelt, ESPN personality slash SportsCenter anchor, put it best by saying, and he was specifically speaking about Fresno State in Nevada when he said it. I saw a Twitter account. He was that, all in on that, the game. That the, <laughs> The game got drunk, and that's kind of how the weekend ended up going. I feel like the entire weekend got drunk in a lot of respects. And just to kind of put it in perspective, you know, Bill Connolly, you know, we talk about him and SP Plus every so often on, on the preview podcast especially. He put out a tweet earlier today talking about post-game win expectancy. So essentially just the way that games unfold, you expect, you know, Team X to win – X percentage of the time, right? Yeah. And so the Mountain West had three of the top four lowest post-game win expectancies by teams that actually won their games. Just to kind of give you a sense of how weird it was overall. So you're telling me, when we talk about Fresno State out out gaining, outplaying, outplays, I guess, they probably should have won that game? Was that... <laughs> well, okay, so should have is another thing, you know, because... I mean, the whole idea behind win expectancy is in SP Plus, of course, deals with, you know, explosiveness, explosive plays, efficiency, points per trip inside the 40, you know, all the things that we talk that we've talked about in the past with SP Plus. So it's basically taking an eye on those things and saying, you know, with the way that one team performs and another team performs, given those things, you would expect, like I said, X team to win Y percentage of the time. And a lot of the cases that we this weekend that just did not happen at all. No, that's fine. We'll get to all the games. So we had so we just start going back on Thursday when we had sort of an inkling that maybe Utah State was figuring things out and well, they're not. With their uh thirty five to seven beat down against Air Force. One step forward, two steps back. Only two steps back? <laughs> Sorry. Well, I mean, it looked like early on they were gonna be able to hang around with the Falcons. You know, because they had a nice first quarter. They actually led after the first quarter was seven nothing. And then after that was really when they started, you know, things started kind of falling apart on them. And I think it was evident, especially early on, where 
on the defensive side of the ball, it just seemed like they had no answer whatsoever where, you know, and everybody was pointing this out on Twitter where we had talked about how the fullback dive had been really mm-hmm. potent for the Falcons, uh, you know, in more than one instance this fall. Utah State actually did a pretty good job overall of containing that element of the of the Falcons ground game. The problem was they just got beat to the edges over and over and over again. So, you know, that's how you end up with a guy like Caden Remsburg, who we hadn't seen almost all year long. He only touched the ball 11 times and had 107 yards. Yeah, he came back from his collarbone chest injury and looked um, quite good. That's what they're missing missing because Robert's a fullback. If like let's just say if they didn't have Remsburg, there's a decent chance this game would have been a lot closer because they don't have too much. Uh, not that they don't have speed to go to the outside, but not having your best guy to do that, this game could have been a lot different. But Remsburg looked good and healthy. Yeah, and it, because it wasn't like they didn't have opportunities to move the ball, you know, here and there. You know, they they it's it's kind of strange because you look at third down performance, and usually that's like a real telling sign for how a game unfolded. And especially in the first half, Utah State was basically doing everything it could to stay on the field. You know, they were five. You know, the problem was most of their third down success came very early on. And they were five of five, I think, in the first quarter, three of five in the second quarter, and then after halftime, they were only one of four. So on the game, they actually did better than Air Force did. But again, you know, part of that is, you know, they didn't a they didn't have as many opportunities after halftime. They just weren't able to stay on the field quite as long. And B, Air Force didn't necessarily need to get to third down because they were making plays on first yeah. and second down. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't need third and that down. Was, That's and that fine. was and that was where over the course of sixty minutes, that things just ultimately got away from them. So it's you know you could see glimmers of progress. But on the whole, you know, they just got, you know, beaten overall. They got beaten on the ground. They got beaten through the air. We didn't even talk about Hazik Daniels. Yeah. Um, and I think that was really what did them in overall. And then once they were able to put Andrew Peasley up on a tee, it wasn't like he had a terrible game, but he just didn't have the same level of success that he did, you know, a week earlier against Mexico. Well, yeah, but not even four yards an attempt. Come on. Like, that's a problem. Like, he threw it a lot of different guys. He had 17 for 32, so he's above 50%. That's good. But there was – it's what we've seen all year. He does say nothing downfield. The longest pass is a 15-yarder. And that's been their issue, big explosive plays, which they seem to rarely have. Like, their longest play was him running the ball for 27 yards. Compare that well, I mean, to I do, I do recall them do, taking at least a couple shots, you know, and, and, yeah. and not necessarily deep shots, like intermediate shots to guys like, you know, Justin McGriff who he only had one catch, but I think he had like four or five targets. So it wasn't like they weren't making an effort to do it. It just wasn't clicking in the same yeah, way. Yeah, but you're playing a bad Air Force secondary, and this is the best you can do? Like, they had this as a chance where running game didn't go well, like LA and Noah only had 30 yards. They threw enough to possibly win, but the secondary, as we've seen all year, hasn't been... It's like it's not It's not bad, but it's not good. It's like it's just... It, it was an opportunity for Utah State to make plays... And they didn't really make too many make enough plays. And it's like the Nevada game. They're up nine zero. Yeah. They they start off good. Like the first quarter, first half. Of, like if you look at most of their games, like they're leading Nevada nine zero, leaving seven zero. Okay, you're down twenty one seven at halftime. That's still within reason. But they just don't have a complete game in them very often. Or I guess just the one time when they beat up on New Mexico. But even then, that took late into the third quarter to pull away. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of kind of their issue. Where yeah, they can start off well. But they just, for some reason, once the game gets going, they don't seem to have enough to put it together. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, 
they've had a million opt-outs too. So it's like guys aren't playing. Interim coach, obviously, another quarterback. Jalen Warren's not there. Like they they're just losing guys left and right. But the uh, the theme or tone of the game is kind of consistent all year. They play pretty well in the first half, um, and that's and then they kind of slowly go downhill. And the game it's like a slow beat down. Like okay, seven zero, fourteen seven, twenty one. It just progressively gets worse as the game goes on. Where Air Force, well, they played well. It's not like they had a quarter where they went up a quick 21 points or 28 points. It's just a slow burn and it mm-hmm. ends up being a blowout. And Aggies need to figure something out next week and going forward with whoever the coach will be because there's been some hot and heavy rumors which are not true by any stretch of the means. If you've heard a certain uh, red and gold coach coming this way, it's probably not happening. But they need to figure stuff out. Like They, they need to play a complete game and they're not doing it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't necessarily want to be too harsh because you know, we, we've talked about it in, in- – past weeks how this is skewing towards being an increasingly young team at this point definitely and you know we talked about how they weren't going to be without jalen warren going forward they were also without Devonte henry cole in this game mm-hmm. and so yeah I, you know if there's one thing that i'm at least mildly disappointed by just kind of like as, a, as an outside observer it's that you know the trio of running backs so you mentioned uh ella Lala, uh, nola um, between him and uh, Makakona and John Gentry, yeah. you know, 18 X. carries 56 yards. I think, you know, you would want to expect a little more from them in the long run. So obviously you don't want to make too many drastic sweeping statements about just one game. But I think in this instance, you know, I, I think they expected to get more from the running game in the same way that they did a week ago. And they just didn't get it done. And then I think the other thing that I would point to as being sort of a disappointment is, you know, for as much as Air Force was able to move the ball, the defense just didn't offer much resistance nope. either. You know, they only had two tackles for loss. And you've got to force the issue with Air Force at least a little bit more often. Yeah, it's, it's not just that, but like how many big plays, like it's always the thing, the big plays. Like we mentioned, sort of did the fullback dive pretty good. Roberts had, what, had just under 100 yards, 90, uh, 98 there. Mm-hmm. But like they've had, they had what, all these six past six plays of 20 or more at least. Like, they had the huge 49-yarder to Ben Peterson, the touchdown, a couple 20-yard runs, along long Hazik Daniels' QB run. Like, they had so many bigger plays. Like I mentioned, Utah State's not doing that. And to beat this mm-hmm. type of team, you can't allow those big plays more than maybe a couple are going to happen almost no matter what. But they've had at least five of those plays of 20-plus yards, and how many? Of the, and a lot of those were touchdowns. And you can't just uh, – you got it. you're right. Get to the backfield. Like, it's hard. Okay, again, playing this defense is hard. The option offense. I mean, the option offense, like the run option they do, but you gotta do something. It's like get to the backfield, make them make an uncomfortable pitch. Because how many times has Zeke Daniels or the quarterback fumbled, or whether whether they recovered it or they lost? Like there was the New Mexico game where there's three straight possessions where they fumbled the ball. Like this is a team mm-hmm. that doesn't. It's not great at ball control for what they're doing. And Utah State getting guys in the backfield can make that benefit them, and they didn't get any. What the two TFLs you mentioned? That's about it. There's much, not much disruption at all. Like Air Force loses the ball, and they didn't take advantage. Or at least um, they couldn't get past the offensive line to make them make a awkward or a second guess hesitation type of pitch or handoff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, if you're looking for bright spots, you know, I think show me, you can help me, to, help me out here. <laughs> I mean, I think that you know, one thing that I I, I often tout, especially what your know, teams that are. That tend to be underdogs is you know a willingness to kind of take chances and in, in order to extend drives 
And so while one of them was kind of out of necessity, just kind of late in the game, there was really no point in punting. Yeah. You know, there was a critical juncture. I think it was in the late third quarter. They were still, I think it was only 21 to seven still or 28 to seven, maybe. And there were still, there was still hope a chance that they could come back into the game and they were willing to go for it on fourth down rather than settling for a field goal inside the air force 30. And they didn't get it, but I feel like that's the kind of, attitude you need to have like you want to make sure that you're giving your team the best chance you possibly can to win so that's one takeaway you know another takeaway is that even if the special teams haven't been all the way up to kind of the recent standards you know i mentioned it on twitter but i'll say it here that their punter has had a pretty good year stefan constantly you know he had three kicks mm-hmm. he averaged 44 yards a kick all three of them pinned air force inside the 20 yard line so it's not like you can't say that he didn't make, you know, he did his job. And I think that's something you could point to in the future where, you know, they have at least one element of the game that they can be optimistic about. And, but, you know, but like you said, there's a lot of questions that whoever the next coaching staff is, is, is going to have to answer, but you know, it's, but it's hard to kind of criticize them too much for circumstances that in a lot of ways are it's kind of a no-win situation it is like i'm not trying to be bad but it just seems to be playing out like i'm not saying the effort's not there because they put up a good effort versus New mexico but it's new mexico it's just a tough mm-hmm. year like i don't even know we have we you've been doing most of the tracker i they've lost what half a dozen guys at least they lost the couple three guys like day before the season started jalen warren receiver i think like they've lost what six to ten guys like key players they've, they've lost devin Tompkins. they've mm-hmm. lost um, jalen warren jalen warren they lost cash gilliam a couple of defensive um, db starters right taron adams and and you know we didn't mention marcus Bohr. he didn't play in this game because that was because he was injured yeah um so it, it's just it's a confluence of things that has made for a really difficult situation so it's you know Utah State fans. I think I've said this before too on the podcast. It's it's gonna require a lot of patience to turn this thing around. It will, and we'll see. How, we'll get the off season when that comes up pretty soon. But they got CSU next week on the road. That's a that's a game within reach. I think the way the Rams been playing, but like it's it's hard. Like it's tough for your team to for the past decades been above average and the best success you've ever had, and you see it to divert to back what it was when the team wasn't competitive at all. And like, because mm-hmm. like when you look at the games they've played, like this is, I'm pulling up the schedule right now here, but like there's so many games where it's not close. Like they're outside of the win versus New Mexico. Every single loss has been by at least 20 points or more, probably even bigger than I'm just kind of going off the top of my head. 34, nine, 38, seven, 42, 13, 35, seven. Like they're not competitive to eat to the team. But yet again, Look who, who they played. Boise State, good. San Diego State, I'll say above average this year. Nevada, really good. I'll put Fresno in between above average and really good. Like the, Their schedule hasn't helped them either. They've been playing some really tough teams too. So yeah. you know, take that into consideration. But then again, when your quarterback doesn't throw 100 yards a game until game four, that's also a problem. And so I'd say look at that way too. You, your schedule is one of the tougher ones in the conference. And you're not competitive, which is not a good sign, but it's also okay. It's not like they're able to play. Well, most of the conference has been pretty up and up and good this year. There's not many like bad teams. New Mexico, Utah State, UNLV. Maybe CSU's next in line there, but they're above average. Like There's a big gap between those three teams and the rest of the conference. Well, and to your point, you know, I, I don't want to seem like I'm making so many excuses for Utah State because all you have to do is look at the other side of the field and see another team that has been dealing with a lot of the same issues. 
And and granted, they've only, they've only played four games, so <laughs> small sample caveats apply. But I think you could say that they have generally handled that kind of transition that everybody's going through a little bit better than a lot of other teams in the conference have. Yeah, I think it was Troy Gerhardt, the student information director, who put it out there on, on Twitter that going into the weekend, Air Force has had more, more players yeah. start for the first time than any other team in the country. Makes sense. And so, and so you you know you look at the difference between these two teams, and we knew that Air Force was going to be losing a lot of key pieces. We and then they lost some other key pieces that we didn't expect them to lose. It's like their whole defense, right? Yeah, and and then a guy like Donald Hammond, you know. So you know they lose all of that, but they've looked pretty good more often than not. Even in the games where they came up short, like the Boise State game, for instance, mm-hmm. you know they at least had the offense working, and so you kind of. It makes you kind of want to tease out the difference between those two things. I, I, it, make, it makes me wonder whether having kind of an established offensive identity at least kind of helps in that regard. And and even despite the fact that you know they're bringing so many pieces back elsewhere that they that they brought back maybe the best offensive line in the conference, and they've continued to be pretty much every bit as good as advertised. And so you look ahead for them for the Falcons. You know, a lot of those guys are moving on for graduation and things like that. And so it's not like they are also going to be going into next year without questions. But it, but there's no there's no doubt, like, in the present that there's a lot of similarities just in terms of, like, personal turnover. But Air Force has kind of weathered that storm a little, a little better than the Aggies have. And also, remember, too, these aren't necessarily transfers. Some are. Mm-hmm. Some aren't. Like, going to Utah State, like Jalen Warren... Um, transfer. There's other guys. I'm looking at our list right here. I think it's reasonably updated, but there's guys that are just. Um, they're not all. They're not de- necessarily all portal guys. They might be guys who are opting mm-hmm. out. They may transfer down the road. They could be waiting for the new coach who may be if it's something they like. So that's something about too. Like Utah State's playing a lot of new guys, but also to consider like just because you opt out doesn't mean they're not coming back. Yeah, and that's going to be a bed and boon to Air Force, Utah State, or any team in the conference where players opted out but not necessarily transferred out yeah so that's something we can look at now see like what guys actually leave that's where you want you kind of be not not concerned but you know my point point being where Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it could be a benefit for them okay you were a starter last year you didn't play because of whatever reason you opted out but you still want to be part of the program whether you're close to your degree your family location or you just like the school on itself and want to have an actual normal year before you actually move on and maybe you don't play football and you're beyond Utah State or anywhere you play. And so this not to say it's it's hard to swallow now. Like there's there are brighter things out there with brand like you said, all the new young guys out there for both of these teams. So Aggie fans where it's being a little bit tougher for not getting victories and not really being competitive. There are good players on this team. They just there's getting it's like um the radio show I work with, they do like for University of Utah is like guy who does a radio analyst, Scott Mitchell. He's like, just make it a ultimate uh, spring season on steroids essentially, which Pat Joel's playing fewer games in Utah State, but think about it the same way. They've had a couple games of brand new guys. It's gonna it's just the experience that matters, and they'll be better for it. And when these other guys, if they how many however many do come back, because not every single one's gonna be gone, it'll just help the team overall by having more experienced players. And so yeah. I know it's hard to say, oh, that's good to look forward to, but yeah, I guess take what you can get, right? Mm-hmm. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, time to move on to the next game, I guess. We spent plenty of time on a 35-7 blowout. <laughs> uh, FYI, UNLV Boise didn't play, so that's why there's no Friday game. We have to bring, th- bring that up one more time. But mm-hmm. do we start with the rare afternoon Honolulu Aloha Stadium kickoff between San Jose State and Hawaii where Spartans running game was uh, the best it's been in years. If you play Hawaii, folks, your running game is going to be almost perfect, right? <laughs> and they needed every bit of it, surprisingly. Yeah, because it's 35-24 Spartans, but like Nick Starkle didn't have a great game in the air. And he got hit a no. couple he got hit a couple of times. He wasn't making things happen. But Tyler Nevins, like, come on, there you go. 150 yards, Kyrie Robinson, 111. Like, you're right, they need every little bit. 35-24. Spartans got up to a huge lead. I was about to turn the game off off my phone because that's the only way I could watch it. And then it's slowly Hawaii made it 21-10 end of the half. They could have had more points. There's that pick in the end zone by Shavon Cordero at the end of the half or near it that who knows if Jay they, Lennard, yeah. Yeah. They got, could have had, who knows they've got a field goal or already points out of it. San Jose State didn't do anything with it, but that could have been some more points there. Cause uh, that was the only pick he had, but like this game overall, it just, it was just a uh, Hawaii kind of did the same thing they did versus Nevada where they wanted, they wanted to uh, let beat me, beat, beat them on the ground and Spartans actually did it and beat them on the ground by doing that. Yeah, I mean, th- there was a stretch in this game, and I would say it's it was roughly 20 minutes of game time where it looked like Hawaii was just going to get run out of the stadium. Yeah, because especially in that first quarter when that when the Spartans jumped out to a 21 nothing lead, it, it, Starkle, despite having a kind of a, a disappointing game overall, he had a very good first quarter. He was five to seven with a touchdown mm-hmm. and, and 75 yards passing, so he was definitely doing his part in that ground game racked up 154 yards in the first 15 minutes. And then it was in that second quarter where the Warriors really started kind of clawing their way into the game. And a lot of that, I think you can credit Siobhan Cordero for, because in that first quarter, he was 0 for 4, so he didn't necessarily get off to the best start. But he was 13 of 19 with a touchdown and and that interception right before halftime. But he was really key to helping the Warriors get back in that game. And then... You know, beyond that, it was it was they weren't really able to get that much closer. But I think you really have to credit, you know, the quarterback in particular for you know enabling the offense to really claw their way back into things. Yeah, like like they could have easily rolled over and lost thirty eight to thirty five to ten or something. Yeah, but, but they second half it was pretty even. It was just it all really it's simple. Come that came down the first quarter. Hawaii was unprepared to stop that running game, which. They were they made the right move. Like Spartans rushing attack hasn't been good all year. Like we've seen, like where they want to bring in Nick Nash a lot to run and hit twenty yards. Like we've seen them try to run and they couldn't do it. And again, Hawaii's secondary is really good. Like mm-hmm. Nick Sarko was under fifty percent for the day. Only threw it twenty three times. That's all he needed. But he only had like what seven yards in attempt. About wait, I guess his rate per completion was nice because he had. A couple long ones. He had three over twenty. That 50, 50 yard of the Trey Walker it was pretty nice. But they he threw it a bunch of different guys in the field. He did just enough. But like Kawhi, again, their secondary gets all over the place. They had 
a couple pass deflections, QB hurries. They had the one reception by Isaiah Tufaga there. Like they make plays and Spartans are like, fine, we're going to run it because you allow us to run it. And they actually, only a couple ways to say it, like they had the success. And that's kind of, I'm, I'm surprised they had as much success. Not, I'm not surprised it ran well, but six and a half yards of carry after a sack yardage, I'm surprised it was that good. Yeah, and I, you know, to me, it was really the running game that keyed what I felt was the turning point in this game that enabled San Jose to kind of keep the Warriors' arms length. It was that drive in the middle of the third quarter where, it, you know, at first, you know, they, they get called for holding on first down at their own 30, so they go backwards to start with, and you're thinking, oh, boy. And then they, you know, they misfire on second down, and all of a sudden they're facing third and 20. Mm-hmm. And Starkle's able to get, you know, 19 yards back, to, to get there and you think, okay, well they might punt it away because they're still, they're up for, they might lean on their defense to try and, you know, keep, you know, to, to make a stop, nope. even though by that point the tide had really turned. And so you're looking at fourth and one on your own 39 and you choose to go for it. And got it. It's you know, huge. Ne- Nevins, Nevins got it. And then later on, you know, they had another fourth down on the Hawaii side of the field. They turned to Nevins again. He got two yards on fourth and one. They were able to punch it in for a touchdown with Nick Nash. And to me, that was basically the ball game, like their their willingness to, to gamble. And that's not to say Hawaii didn't gamble, too. Actually, both of these teams were perfect on fourth downs in this game. You know, the San Jose State had, you know, two conversions in the third quarter. Hawaii had three of their own in the fourth quarter to try and stay alive. And so, you know, the, both of these teams did what they needed to do in order to try and stay alive. And it just it, it, for Hawaii in the end, it didn't necessarily work out. But you know, both of these teams, I would say, gave their best efforts. For Hawaii, though, it was kind of too little, too late. They just dug themselves a hole they couldn't quite dig their way out of. Yeah, and that drive was huge because Hawaii scored seventeen straight points. Yes, it was twenty one zero, twenty one seventeen. Like think of it this way: had they scored like the interception before the half, there was about forty five seconds left. They were just cross, just a pass midfield, midfield. So. Let's say they get a field goal. It's like 21-13. They get the touchdown. Like They're right there. They're down 21-20. So I think that was a play where Spartans are like, we're going to show you we're the better team. Like We're not going to mm-hmm. we're not gonna punt the ball because you trust – look at their offense. Like throughout, It wasn't even doing that great either. Like If you go back to before the end of the half, like five plays punt. They had interception, four plays in a punt. They punted. They had multiple punts. Like They didn't do it. The second quarter, they did nothing, it seemed like. They could not mm-hmm. move the ball, even, but neither could Hawaii. Like Hawaii wasn't doing anything. They get a field goal, whatever. Then the interception for a touchdown. Like, so to trust your offense after going so poorly in the second quarter, it's like we're just going to get this. That's probably turned the tide of the game because had they not gotten that, who knows what would happen. Like Kawhi was moved, had their confidence, 17 straight points. They just scored a touchdown. They stopped right there on fourth and one. We're only 30-something yards away from scoring another touchdown. Like that, Doing that play and converting was the biggest play of the game. Mm-hmm. Had to be because end result touchdown. That they just up too many points. Like had Hawaii done anything in that first quarter, the game could have been way way different. It's just they just got behind too big and couldn't come back. And that's how that's how it ended. Essentially, guys, St. Spartans yeah. won in a different way where we haven't seen them win all year, which is a sign of a really good team. And yet they're still not ranked in the top twenty-five. Come on, what's did you say that Buffalo was ranked in the top 25? Did the running back have nine touchdowns again this week? 
<laughs> Patterson, whatever his name is. I did see what Jared Patterson. Jared Patterson. Sorry if I get incorrect, but he had eight TDs a couple weeks ago. Coach takes him out. The backup gets the ninth. I'm like, what are you doing? Give him the record. Um, that's hilarious. That's, that's also kind of mean. Come on. <laughs> but um, are they? What's Buffalo's record? They are ranked. They're um, they're four and zero. They're ranked twenty fourth. Okay. Um, so you're telling me San Jose State should be ranked above Buffalo? At least slightly. I mean, they've got two more wins than the Bulls do. And I mean, no disrespect to the Bulls. I think they're pretty clearly the best team in the MAC. But you know why they're ranked? They I mean, scored seventy points this week. I guess that'll do it. Huh? Or no, I guess Wait, last who week. Play? Who do they play this week? Oh no, it was canceled. So they, you think they've been ranked after scoring seventy? Their, their game versus Ohio was postponed. They play Akron on the twelfth. Okay, so they did. They dropped seventy on Kent State then two weeks ago. Yeah, but they're scoring like about okay. 15. Okay, I mean, okay, fine. Kent's a pretty good team to score seventy on. They scored. They had their lowest point total is forty two points this year. I'm just saying, put some respect on the Spartans for uh, once. I know it's like this five wins. Like we'll need to look it up. But when is the last time they had five wins? I'm serious. Uh, I think somebody had mentioned it was 1939. The no, last time they had a start this good. No, not five and zero, but just five wins. Oh, uh, that would have been 2015, I believe. Was so the last time they went bowling? They went they, to the Cure Bowl that when year. They, when they were five and seven or five and six and got to go to a bowl game. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, that year they did six and seven. 2015. No, no, they had five last year, so they tied last year. So, oh, okay. Kudos for them. So they could be officially bowl eligible if they win next week. But so tiebreakers, really quick, because we're going to sprinkle this in throughout. So. For San Jose State, basically, if they win, they're in, right? Is that the um, – Yes. They're undefeated. They play Nevada, which, be, by the way, people, Sam Blade stayed in this weekend. So it's not a home yes. – It's not going to Reno like this game did going at Hawaii. It's going to Las Vegas. So why do you think they're doing that? Why not go to Reno that's, again? That's an excellent question. My, my follow-up question is what's going to happen to Fresno State in New Mexico then? Because that's in, that's in New Mexico, right? It's, or, well, I it's mean, supposed to be in Las Vegas. You know what I mean. Is it a um, let me check? Is a game time set up for that one yet? Because they said this is the evening game. I don't know. I'll look real quick, but I'm guessing. Okay, I'll ask another question. You may say I don't know, so this is pretty bad podcasting. But is Sam Boyd astroturf field field turf? I believe turf? it's natural grass. Oh boy, where's um UNLV playing this weekend? I don't I, know. <laughs> where are they? Are they no? They're okay. So they play Hawaii. I think they're. I think Hawaii's at home, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe one game. Let me double check. Maybe a game's at Allegiant. Let's pull us up so we're not just saying I don't know and being fools of ourselves. But it it is at Sam Boyd because it got mentioned earlier today on Sunday. Because UNLV's on the road at Hawaii. So so they can put New Mexico at Sam at um, Allegiant Field, maybe. Maybe I don't. Know. I have no idea how they're going to do it. Guess what? Stay they t- haven't said anything officially, but I would imagine that's the most likely. Oh wait, hold on. It's a Friday game, so maybe that's why. Never mind. I forgot about that. Nevada, San Jose is Friday. So oh, that's right. But if it's still natural grass, that's an interesting turnaround. So we'll see. We'll keep you updated on that. But that's a yeah. The game's at Sam Boyd, so we'll see. All right. What's the what's the next game right here, Matt? Next uh, matchup here. Uh, that would be the Colorado State. Uh, Colorado State and San Diego State. So, so let me tell you, um, did Alvin Kamara show up for this game? I'm just wondering. Was that a thing? <laughs> you, you know, normally when a head coach compares a running back to an all-pro like Alvin Kamara, I expect them to do better than 3.1 yards per carry, but that's just me. You know what? You know what Mountain West coaches just start doing or stop doing? Quit comparing the guys to amazing quarterback, amazing players. We had Armani Rodgers, the Cam Newton thing. 
How about you just say, we see some similar some similarities to great athletes or something. If you get specifics, you put the player in an impossible spot. Like Alvin Kamara is like the best running back in the NFL. Come on. To be fair, he was hardly the only problem for the Rams in this game. Especially- we should probably mention that the Aztecs won 29-17 <laughs> to 17 before we do anything else. But the Rams... Special teams. Yikes. What is what is up, man? I mean, that's not the that's not the only thing, but I guess we can start talking about it there because in the grand scheme of things, this was kind of the big difference in the game. Two touchdowns with Jordan Bird. Was a punt and kick return? Is that right? Yeah. And I believe uh, they had pointed out it was the first time since 2015 that a team had both a kickoff return and a punt return in the same quarter. Oh, quarter. So Jordan Bird Jordan Bird had the kickoff return. B.J. Busby had the punt return. And Bird had also the second other return for a set up a score, I believe, right? Yes. So, yeah. How about you um, get some tacklers out there, Rams? Adazio. Come on. Like, that. that's the big deal. Like, those two, those two touchdowns, huge. The other return game, like, it's some special teams. Like, look at the boy. This is also, again, the second time versus Boise State, right? The three block kicks, two for touchdowns. Like, this mm-hmm. is – I we need to look this up because – Four special teams touchdowns allowed has to be close to some record. Has to be, right? I would imagine so. Like, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really frustrating because, that, I mean, that was basically kind of the biggest difference in the game, not only because of the touchdowns, but because it it did a lot to, and it wasn't the only thing, but it was one of the factors that played into the fact that the Aztecs had a major field position advantage in this game. Like, on average, they were starting at their own 42-yard line. Uh, and and it, and that's not to say that the Rams didn't also have you know, decent field position more often than not. But and the Rams, on average, are starting at their own twenty nine. But when you're giving up fifty yard kickoff returns or touchdowns or turning the ball over, which we'll talk about more in a moment, you're just not going to win a lot of games when that happens. And it's 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 got to be especially frustrating because it wasn't like they got blown out in this game. There was a lot of things they did really well, even within the things that went wrong. You know, case in point. I put this out there when I wrote my winners and column or winners and losers column this morning. Ryan Stonehouse did his job. He's for on, example. He can't tackle everybody. If he's still gets, a punting god. Yeah, but averaged over forty-eight yards a kick. Net kick 50, was not very good. Four, four, four fifty-yard kicks. Pinned them three times inside the twenty. He did his job. Yeah, and Thomas Panuzio also had a very nice kick return himself. I think he had one that set up. I, I want to say it set up a score, but I can't recall that off the top of my head. So, and and it wasn't like the defense also didn't have a pretty good game overall. You know, they they had three sacks. They had eleven tackles for loss. Running game was non-existent all, for San Diego State. Non-existent. Jordan Brookshire, QB, led the team in rushing. The entire offense was in existence. Wasn't yeah, in it was, existence for, for the Aztecs. It's garbage. I put this out there on Twitter. It was the first time since 2013 that a Mountain West team has won a game while averaging three yards per play on uh, offense or fewer. Yikes! Special and teams. The, the last the last time that happened. Um, do you remember that Utah State Colorado State game that was 13 to nothing? It's blocked from my memory now, so I don't know. <laughs> the, the, the Aggies just put on a stifling defensive performance that day. What year is this again? And 2013 oh, so, was when they won the division. So like Vigil Brothers are probably out there tackling people. Yeah, I mean they basically they basically shut they basically shut down the Rams in that game, and that's basically kind of what the Rams did in this game to the Aztecs. It wasn't like Brookshire blew them away. It was only 14 of 24, 130 yards, which 
it's it's fine, but it wasn't like they were hitting a lot of <laughs> their longest play through the air was only 19 yards, so it wasn't like they were necessarily lighting them up yeah. or anything like that. It was just the Aztecs got to a certain point in this game where they were able to to, to sit on it, and, and they didn't do they didn't do a good job of that either. Like they had they said Greg Bell was ready to play. He had one carry, four yards. Like they're mm-hmm. they're rushing. Like their offense is bad. Like I don't know. There's nothing about the Rams defense shut down the offense. Blame the special teams. Like, getting the field position to where they did and the touchdowns, that's 14 points. Let's just, like, that game, like, clearly, it's very simple to say. Those touchdowns don't happen. The game could be very different, but those were two of the biggest plays of the game. Like, if they don't get those, like, who knows what they score, but they're down 15 points working towards scoring more. And the way they Mm move the ball, I don't know if they would have scored points. When they get that field position, like you said, of how good it was, they're like the Aztecs. Their special teams clearly bailed them out. Their offense wasn't very good. Like what happened to the running game we've seen for the past the past couple weeks? It hasn't been very good. I guess they need mm-hmm. a he- healthy Greg Bell. But like had the, had Rams been able to tackle somebody on a kickoff or punt return, they could have won this game. Like that's not out of the question. The way their defense was playing, Brookshire didn't move the ball very well. He led the team in rushing at one point seven yards a carry. Might add you, Jordan Bird only had thirty three yards. Like the. Like, they were doing nothing on offense. They did find, like, Daniel Bellinger catching the ball, 5 for 53, but the offense wasn't very good, and the Rams defense can't take it, can take very little, if any, blame for this loss. No, definitely not. I mean, a guy like Scott Patchen, who we, maybe we haven't talked about him enough on the podcast, but he's he's got to be in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year. He had seven tackles. He had two sacks. And, you know, Cameron Carter had two and a half tackles for loss. Dequan Jackson had tackle and a half for loss. The defense did its job. Yeah, 11 the TFLs. teams did not, and the offense didn't either. And I think if there's a longer, more concerning problem, in my opinion, it's what has happened to this Rams offense throughout the course of the season. Because I still do not understand this dalliance with Todd Santeo. And it's my understanding that the only reason he saw the field in this game is because Patrick O'Brien threw that really you know, bad interception <laughs> to uh, – yeah. I, I, was that the one from uh, Taylor Hawkins or was that the other one? Um, I don't recall which Or one. was it the Darren Hall interception? Darren Hall had the one where he turned it for about 15 yards. I think it was the Darren Hall interception. But what has Todd Sintail shown anyone that he's more than like a gadget kind of player? Not, not, he, that's all he is. Like He's a guy who – what maybe San Jose State wants to do with Nick Nash, but less successful. And you know, maybe more to the point, it's, it seems like they haven't developed any secondary weapons whatsoever. You know, Trey McBride, Dante Wright, we've talked about this before. I know this for a fact. They combined for 10 catches, 122 yards, which is, you know, it's, it's fine. You know, they had a couple of nice big plays. I think there was one where McBride in particular kind of lowered the shoulder and was able to pick up some extra yards by more or less kind of barreling over a San Diego State defender in the secondary. But they had 15 targets between them. E.J. Scott and A. John Bivens only had six targets, and that was it. Where's Nate Craig Myers? Basically, the utter failure of this offense to develop any kind of secondary weapons, any kind of consistent running game, because, you know, again, it wasn't like they didn't have a couple of explosive plays. You know, Patrick O'Brien, oddly enough, had a 25-yard run for a first down. Marcus McElroy had his nice touchdown run. That was 37 yards. Of oh, 50 yards, though. 
Yeah, that that's exactly my point. It's are you being a bit harsh? This offense Look, has been hugely disconcerting to me as the, someone who expected them to be one of the better offenses overall in the conference. Like even if the running game was only going to take a modest step forward, I kind of expected the passing game to pick up a slack, and it seems like the entire thing has fallen off a cliff. Are you being a bit harsh with them not having Warren Jackson and missing games, missing practices with everything? Or do you think they should be even better despite every, – I know everybody's basically dealing with the same set of hand here just about. Some teams are missing more games than other, but developmental time, practice time, you miss in future NFL with draft the ed- With the edge and experience that this team had on just about everybody else in the conference, the way that they performed over the last few weeks has to be a supreme disappointment. Where should they be better at? Should they because they have other receivers? They should be, be they should be better on offense. Okay, so like I think Patrick O'Brien's really good, but apparently not anymore. Like I, I mean, th- if they if they had the offense that they had like in the first or in the first kind of two thirds of conference play last year, this team would be competing for the division for the conference championship. They'd be right there with teams like San Jose State and Nevada and things like that. But the fact that they haven't and they've more or less kind of wasted uh, kind of a lot of different revelations on the defense side of the ball is. To me, really frustrating, and I'm sure it's got to be frustrating to a lot of Rams fans as well. Yeah, because they're like Marcus McCoy could be pretty good. Like we know McBride, Dante Wright, he'll be around again. But I don't know. It's like it is mostly special teams. But the off, you're right. The offense should be better. And if, again, coach Adazio, quit spouting off and how these amazing players because that puts so much pressure on them, and then they they don't show up or they don't perform as well for. And then again, you make that comment before you plan. Probably the best defense of the conference. You really want to bring that up to Brady Hoke and everybody, Tariq Thompson and all these guys in the uh, Kaden McDonald, Darren Hall, like Cameron Thomas. Do you really want, to, really want to bring up? We have a future like NFL Hall of Famer on our roster. Good luck, kid. He's putting him like an impossible situation as well. Come on. I mean, let's put it this way. I it's not fair. More, I expected more imagination out of this offense. I did not expect an offense that ran it twenty times on twenty-seven first downs. Are you kidding me? You got Steve Dyes who's your head coach. What do you think? I, I based off of what I saw from Joey Lynch, the offensive coordinator, and what you know, what I, what video I've saw of his time at Ball State and things like that. Yeah, I expected more. I expected you know at least to find different ways to get the ball into Dante Wright's hands. I expected like, a more diverse offense than what we've seen. That's what Todd Centennial is for, Matt. It's not working. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> it's not working. All right, uh, time to move on, right? Yeah. All right, so what do we got next? Is this the uh, what your Fresno game got moved up? The game of the day, right? Yes. How so? How's your thoughts on this game with how it turned out? Because Fresno came to the short end of the stick, despite uh, if you look at the numbers, like how the heck did this happen? This was easily the strangest game of the day. How many special teams We're, player was Fresno State missing as well? That was also uh, okay. So, not so good. I forget. I forget who put this out there on Twitter, but I went and I looked at like the starting lineups. So, to the best of my knowledge, they were missing the long snapper. They put a freshman wide receiver, right, as a kicker? <laughs> they they were missing the place kicker. They were missing the punter. They were missing two starting offensive linemen, including the left tackle, Dante Bull. Um, they were missing at least one of their secondary pieces, Evan Williams. Did not play in this game, one of their safeties. Um I think they might have been missing one or two on the one or two people in their linebacking core. So they weren't necessarily operating at full strength. And by the time we realized just how much of a problem that was, it was too late to do anything about it. And they still played well enough to possibly win the game. Yeah. 37-26, by the way. Because it was those special teams miscues that, you know, 
I had no, when we were talking about this game, we had no idea that this was going to happen no. during the preview podcast. And then you know, all of a sudden you see the, the, the backup kicker, Carson King, and he's holding onto the ball just a touch too long. And now all of a sudden Nevada's got a short field. Black kick. And yeah. then they, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, now, like you said, they have a freshman wide receiver lining up to take an extra point. And, and um, by the way, if you, if you didn't watch the game, he missed <laughs> that extra point. Yes, he did. Why not and just so, go for two every time? If you're at that point, just go for two. Don't even risk it. You got right. You got uh, freaking Roddy Rivers. The Come on. So like once that once they realized that they were going to have problems on special teams, be creative. That was when they that was when they started going forward on fourth down. Wait, wait, hold on. Did you notice that? Hold, yes, hold on. You're not telling me before the game you mentioned all these players out. They didn't think that Avicii's on special teams. You have to wait until there's a tra- tragic blocked punt, a missed extra point to realize maybe we should just go for it on fourth down. Maybe we should go for a two point conversion instead. You should know that going into the game and only like punt if it's like at your ten yard line and it's fourth and nine. Like they went for it they went for it seven times on fourth down. I know, but that could have been too little too late. Like go for it earlier. I don't know. Like the, I know well, that it wasn't only that too. Like as soon as they realized they couldn't rely on the backup punter, they started having Jay Kaner do punch punts. Too. I say, yes. Do that instead. Like I get the one that was blocked. That was a pretty that's pretty deep in their own territory. It wasn't what the their own twenty five, I want to say, something like that. Yeah. I don't remember the down to distance on that. I'm trying to let me say, was that in the first half, right? What is the yes? So what it was the the uh, they got it the with the forty yard line. Is that where they got it from? I believe I think it was that first touchdown that Nevada scored. If I'm not mistaken, it's just it's a team run loss for twelve yards. So yeah, that must be it, I guess. So yeah, mm-hmm. but like you're at you're you're kicking at midfield. Why are you kicking at midfield? Right. I mean, it was fourth and seven on in that particular instance. Yeah. I think. Okay. It was. I'll, I think it was just one of those things. They expected it to be a little smoother than it, than it was initially, oh, and then coaches. once they realized, okay, this is a problem. <laughs> it was. You know, then all of a sudden they lost the lead, and then they they spent most of the rest of the game basically just playing catch up. You know, they were down seventeen to seven by the end of the first quarter. I, I just don't get that. You see who's missing. Do I? I Plus, that part of the field, you should probably be going for it anyways. I know it's fourth and seven, so it touched long, but I don't know. Had you gotten five yards, I would have been past midfield and maybe something else happened. I just thinking, like, I get what the coach is doing. We're going to try it once. But they tried it once, and it cost them eight points. And you lost by nine. Mm-hmm. Just right there. I'm just saying. <laughs> it cost them points. But no, like, I mean, I, to- I totally understand. But, I mean, I mean, some of these things were outside of their control. Some of these things were just kind of late adjustments, I think. Yeah. And then there were some other things that just happened within the course of the game that really kind of doomed them as well. Like, you know, Ronnie Rivers, for instance, got nicked up at some point in the middle of the game. And and even though he had 14 carries and and nine catches, over over 100 yards of total offense, they missed him down the stretch. Jordan Mims didn't get the pace. Yeah. And then... You know, they also, I think, had one or two giveaways as well. There was that that stretch in the third, I think the third quarter, was it? Third going into the fourth quarter where they basically just kind of traded turnovers for a while. Yeah, the two, what, two fumbles overall. Yeah, Cropper Cropper had a had a kickoff return fumble. Yeah, and then the Eric and, Weepel, and, or Carrick Weeple. Carrick Weeple yeah. had a nice catch and run. Tyson Williams came up and knocked the ball out, and Nevada was able to, to create you know, points out of that. I think they were able to create points out of both of those. And so it was just like a, a huge confluence of things where, you know, that's how you ended up with Jake Hainer throwing the ball 65 yards. And, you know, to his credit, he didn't make any obvious mistakes. He had 485 yards and two touchdowns. He only got sacked twice. 
But honestly, I have no idea how it was only t- two sacks because <laughs> even though Nevada life. was playing without, yeah, even though Nevada was playing without Dom Peterson, he was running for his life. It's still all good the time. It's still a good defense without Dom Peterson. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and you know, but those two sacks came at really critical times for Nevada too. Like uh, uh, Daniel, uh, and I apologize, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Griseziak, get his had his first career sack, you know, near the goal line, and. You know, it wasn't just the turnovers. It was one of those fourth down conversions that Fresno State came up short. Nevada took it down the field for a touchdown. And it's just like those breaks didn't necessarily work out for them. Like two times, the turnover and downs. One was inside the red zone, like inside the five. They went yeah, back. Yeah, it, it was in the, fir- the first drive of the fourth quarter. Fresno State got down to the 15, turned it over on downs. Nevada goes three plays, 85 yards for a touchdown, and that was basically the game right there. Yeah, and then there's all, yeah, it was, uh, it's tough to, like, you don't have a kicker. Like, it's hard. Like, they were close. Like, if you look at the way they played, like, I think it's safe to say had they had a, re- a reliable punting game, they probably would have won the game. Mm-hmm. Or kicking game. Just kicking game in general. They would have kicked it. They probably would have kicked a field goal. They won it fourth of four. They're at four. They had another, they had a couple chances. They could have gone for a long field goal. One would have been, I think, a 52-yarder, which is, pretty risky i think they're at the 35 when they had to give it up or go for it i mean i'm like fourth and mm-hmm. plus 10 like you have any sort of kicking game there they would have won the game because they you mentioned seven third fourth downs they go for it 21 third down attempts but like overall like they moved the ball against this defense quite efficiently even though the turnover mar- they they plus one turnover margin 10 more minutes of the time possession they uh rushing even though neither team rushed well they outrushed them outpassed them like they didn't outgain them in a per play and passing, but like just look at the sheer numbers. They outplayed Nevada, except when special. It's like the other game. Special teams killed CSU. Special teams situate situations not for returns or whatever, but just not having a, a, a somebody who can kick the ball in place. That's a problem. That's kind of what I yeah, felt. and I mean, and we didn't even talk about certain other breaks that just you know they created opportunities for themselves and it didn't just go there it just didn't go their way like you know uh, David Prowlis for instance had that strip sack of Carson Strong yeah. that Strong was able to just fall on you know he's a guy who's been I made mean, the joke on Twitter it's like his fifty five millionth fumble forced fumble of the year <laughs> but he's been creating at least one of those plays it seems like week in and week out for the Bulldogs defense so you know that was one of those things where it, it may kind of go by the wayside when you're thinking about all the wild stuff that happened in this game but that's one of those things where if the balance had just gone a little bit differently Fresno State could have gone got set up with a short field and done something with it but as it was you know Nevada ended up making the most of its opportunities and so you know I don't want it to seem like Nevada didn't do what it took to earn to, to win the game they did they made plays when it counted especially through the air Troy, especially with Carson Strong Tory Horton man For, true freshman 148 yards three touchdowns come on ironically a Fresno native I know that's uh it's gotta hurt guys gotta yeah hurt. And I mean it's it, you know there's only so many things you can blame the circumstances for you know like, you know, Torrey Horton went up and he had at least one, I think he mossed one defender for, for one of those touchdowns. Yeah. But at a certain point, you kind of have to say that whoever's left does have to step up and make plays. And, it, yeah. and to me, the best example of that is the fact that Cole Turner scored both of his touchdowns on basically the exact same play. 
Yeah. With the, the goal line fade. Where he yeah, I was going to mention that. And getting the ball, the 50-50 ball in, in the corner of the end zone. They had he the, did that twice. They had the pass interference. He's been doing that week in and week out, and <laughs> nobody's had an answer for it. They had the PI and, so, and did it back-to-back. I'm like, it's coming, guys. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Hit him off the you line. You know exactly what's coming. And the person and just couldn't stop it. And that's a credit to Nevada, where they, they identified... Perfect throw, is. perfect guy out there. It's like, those are risky throws to make. It's like, you got to make it where it's... If you don't catch it, it's just out of bounds. And yeah. you have the right guy who can jump, athletic go up there, strong knows where he likes at the top point of getting the ball. And that's a, yeah, it's those are plays where it's just like those plays you have down. Like, you know, this play will work. It's like, all right, we got one play, we know what to run, and they run it. And that's what happened on those touchdowns. Yeah. Also, Carson Strong, five touchdowns, tied the, not record, but the most since Colin Kaepernick had him against Idaho back in 2010. Five touchdowns. That's pretty good. So. Let me get your thoughts on Jay Kanner. I think he's your quarterback, right? <laughs> he is our quarterback, yes. <laughs> like, how good is he going to be? Like, he, like, is he the next guy to move up? Like, he has one year, maybe two. Like, is he going to be that guy where Fresno's offense, like, with what they have? Like, I mean, I'll acknowledge that I wasn't totally sold on him when he came from Washington. But I think a lot of that had to come down to the fact that, you know, he didn't have much in-game experience and and I think you know you know as well as I do that that's not necessarily a total disqualifier, but I was more in kind of a wait and see mode. Yes, for as sure. to how his how his kind of you know because I think he was a four star recruit to the Huskies, so it wasn't like he wasn't very well thought of. I just kind of wanted to wait and see how he performed, especially and and this is true of Nick Starkle as well and, and other quarterbacks who we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wrote that article, I think it was back in January or February, about transfer quarterbacks just in terms of recent history and how it's really been kind of a mixed bag. But at this point, it's really hard to argue that he's not going to give the team a chance to win week in and week out. So, you know, even though this week it was mostly just kind of weird and unusual circumstances that probably aren't going to come up ever again, I think you have to feel good about his position Especially with the fact that, you know, yeah, even though they're going to be losing Ronnie Rivers next year, mm-hmm. they're bringing pretty much everybody else back. And I think that if you're a Bulldogs fan, you can be pretty excited about the fact that he's going to be leading the offense for the next couple of years. Yeah, Jordan Mims will take over for Ronnie Rivers. You have like uh, Jalen I think Mims might actually be graduating as well. Oh, well, he's, he's listed as a junior here, but uh, that's like. Okay, that might be true, yeah. Okay. But if receivers coming back, um, running back will be tough to replace Rivers. But if, if Mims comes back or whoever. Like, that could be the only one area where there's uh, not concern. It's just, like, who's going to be like, you got Josh Kelly. Maybe he'll step up be that guy. But uh, it's going to be a team where, plus, what can Kalen DeBoer do? Like, there's a full off offseason and actually spring football and actually practice with his guys. Like, yeah. Let's not forget, Fresno State was one of the only teams yeah. in the country <laughs> that did not come together before all of this happened. They probably had, what, whatever preseason ad Because it was, like, in even late August, they had to petition to even practice. Yeah. To get going. So, like, imagine when him, like, look at Indiana right now. He's the reason they're doing what they're doing right now at Indiana. Like, he went over yes, there. Yes, he He's one of them, yeah. Kevin Wilson there, like, what he helped accomplish and set up. They're a fringe team that might make the playoff if things bounce their way, and they have their backup quarterback right now. who They got the win over, uh, was it Wisconsin they beat this weekend? Yes. So, yeah, they had uh, Jake or Jack Tuttle there, two TDs. Wish Utah had a quarterback because not it's good, but whatever. <laughs> their, their version of the uh, their transfer – First one got injured, which sucks. Jake Bentley, not very good. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but uh, we'll see. Yeah, I keep saying that a lot. But let's move on. Next game. Last game. Last game. 
Kudos to Danny Gonzalez getting the victory. First victory as a head coach, 17 to 16 over Wyoming. This was a game. I'm still trying to wrap my head around how this game unfolded. Do we need to bring back the old quarterback shirts? Because they played their fifth quarterback, just not in one game. Oh, yes, they did. <laughs> not by not by choice, though. Let's let's get that out there. Broken um, wrist. Danny Gonzalez, yeah. Danny Gonzalez put it out there in the post-game show um, that Connor Gennel, who started the – or Janal, excuse me, yeah. who started the game, um, broken off. wrist. So, yeah. So they had to turn to Isaiah Chavez. Another walk-on. It was interesting, freshman. though, because – yeah, they had given him opportunities to come in and run the offense at certain points in the first half. But then when when Genoal got hurt, you know, you started wondering, okay, well, how's this going to work? And it, it it wasn't always pretty. You know, he was only 5 of 10, 55 yards. He had the one touchdown. Um, you know, he was able – he showed a little bit of mobility, ability to extend plays. And I think that was kind of what they were hoping for. And, you know, he did his part to really keep what was what ended up being a very ground-heavy offense moving. And so I think by that metric, you could, you could say that his, his ability to kind of steer the offense, if not necessarily to, you know, be on point as far as kind of being the primary playmaker, is kind of what they, they needed him to do. And that was exactly what he did for them in this game. He did. Also, I do the uh, player of the week of the year thing. I had to find the Lobo player to put on there, and I can't put I can't just put Danny Gonzalez because he's coach. But I had, I had to go to Bobby Cole. He had a pretty big game. Like he had the touchdown reception, led the team in receiving and rushing almost two hundred total yards. Like he had two of the biggest plays of the game outside of uh, Wyoming's two fifty eight yarders. Like he was another reason you look at to why they got the victory, and they're first in what since September of twenty nineteen beating New Mexico State. Now, see, you you went on offense, and and I don't blame you. You are an offensive uh, enthusiast. Uh, I, I looked at defense. I like. Here's the thing. Here's let me um, before you say whoever you're gonna say. Defense is great, but I know you had Brandon Shook, thirteen tackles. Yes. But but if you're going to outperform Jake Hayner, Carson Strong, all these guys, you got to have some big defensive numbers, and they were did well and stopped made plays they needed to be. I didn't think there was a defender who stood out to be one of the top seven players of the week. Now, see, I would disagree with that. Go, because that's fine. Do it. The, the, defense, the defense won them this game. Let's, like, let's be clear. And, and I say that, ironically, even though they ended up getting outgained by more than two full yards per play, <laughs> uh, you know, it was, it was 6.8 to 4.6 in favor of Wyoming. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't all evenly distributed. You know, if you actually look at what Wyoming did, what it really came down to was a very, very feast or famine kind of situation where yeah. you know, they had they had two big plays in the air. They had the 54-yarder to, to Isaiah Nair when, when Levi Williams was in the game. Then they had an 18-yarder later in the game um, after he had gotten replaced by the backup Gavin Beerup. And then they had eight plays that totaled a grand, you know, 218 yards. So what is that? That's essentially like right around 300 yards, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you're talking about 300 yards. They had 374 yards total offense in this game. They ran 55 total plays. Mm-hmm. So who's the player? Like who's the one guy you'd say that deserves it's, most of the credit? It's Brandon Shook. I know he had the 13 tackles. Not only that, he was Johnny on the spot when they needed him to be. It because was interception, yes. He had the interception mm-hmm. to, that sealed the win. 
He had the TFL there, yeah. He also had the forced fumble that oh. stopped Trey Trey Smith inside the five yard line before that in the fourth quarter. I must have missed that. I apologize, so Mr. He Shook. was the guy who made plays for them down the stretch. And that's not to say that it was only him. I think he was best representative at what was by far the best overall performance of the year because, yeah, Wyoming might have beaten them on a per play basis. But like I said, a lot of that was concentrated into really a handful of plays, like maybe one out of every five plays that had an explosive play. But there were long stretches of this game where Wyoming couldn't do anything. And I think yeah. nothing nothing is better representative of that is than the fact that the Cowboys were only one of 11 on third downs. Huge. Yeah, and, yeah, you're and, right. And they, were, and they were one of three on fourth down, so it wasn't like they weren't trying to extend plays, especially late in the game. That's a Rocky Long and Danny Gonzalez showing you up there, Craig Bull. That's how you run a defense. Yeah, and so and it wasn't like they were necessarily like you know easy first downs to defend too. Like they only forced three third and longs. You know, a lot of them were more third and short, third and mid. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I look at that and I see, you know, there was like what third and one early third quarter, and they they stuffed Trey Smith for a loss of one. You know, Rico Hanna was a guy who was who seemed like he was everywhere for a really long stretch in that game as well. You know, to me, it's those big plays where they don't necessarily stand out on the stat sheet, but as a team, they really stepped up and and, and did what they needed to do to give the offense a chance to win this game in the end. Well, they totally did. Like the defense, like like it, this is like Wyoming's offense is almost like Utah State a couple weeks ago. Like they had, you mentioned a fifty-four passing play, the two fifty-eight rushing yard plays. Um, Galvin Barrett had a thirty-eight yarder. Like. Outside of that, they weren't doing much. Like the quarterback play too. Like Levi Williams had probably his worst game of his career. Interception, four of twelve, seventy-three yards. That secondary stepped up. They did he get hurt? Is that why Gavin, um, Gavin Beerup went in there as well? Yeah, I don't recall if they actually disclosed exactly what it was. I saw somebody mention that it might have been like a chest injury or like an upper body injury of some kind. That's what I said too. I wasn't sure, but like he came in and had the big running play I mentioned. But the this. Levi Williams didn't run the ball very well, which he's not like Sean Chambers, but you expect more than 29 yards on nine attempts. Whether I don't recall if those were scrambles a little bit here and there. A couple probably were. But you would expect mm-hmm. for him to get about 40-something yards, you know what I mean, on the ground. But the whole New Mexico defense just shut them down. Like when it counted, they got the plays they needed to get played. Like you mentioned the biggest thing, those third down conversions or lack thereof on Wyoming's offense. And mm-hmm. Mexico was just okay. Like, we don't want to say New Mexico's offense is anything amazing. They're only five of fifteen on third downs themselves. They also had two turnovers. They had more penalties. They weren't efficient uh, running the ball overall. But it doesn't matter. Like they made the stops and they scored the points and the biggest play, like I said, interception for the chance for the game to be done with. But what does this say about Wyoming? Like we thought Wyoming was pretty good. Like I don't want to. Like this is going to sound rude or disrespectful, maybe to New Mexico, but like. Shouldn't Wyoming be better than this? Because Trey Smith, who we just now mentioned, still had 154 yards rushing, basically replicating Xavier Valade, who didn't travel with the team. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the like? What's wrong with Wyoming? I Is mean, it, I, th- I think it's a fair criticism. I mean, they came into this game as a as a huge. two touchdown favorite, at least. Yeah. So what do you think? Was it just quarterback play? Was it just them not converting? I think quarterback. I think quarterback play had a lot to do with it because. You, you, I mean, yes, Levi Williams has still only played eight games in his career. Mm-hmm. You have to do better than four of twelve through the air. And the one interception he threw was just a—it was just a bad throw. And, and credit to Jarek Reed for bringing it down. You know, he's been 
making plays. He's basically been the one guy in the in the in the Lobo secondary making those kinds of big turnover type plays. Mm-hmm. But they needed more from him. And if you're pointing to one issue on this offense, I think it's just his ability to make this offense go in this game was really what betrayed them in the long run. It definitely did. It's like what do, what do you think about New Mexico then for this? Because it's Danny Gonzalez's first win. He, mm-hmm. he, being a good team, it's not like a, like also they got their butt kicked versus Utah State the week before. Mm-hmm. Like he's called them, we're not a good team. We're playing bad football. So how does this trans translate to one last game of the year? You got Lobos. Um, they got Fresno State, which oh boy, that's gonna be a tough one. It's gonna but, be a tough one. So let's just say because what 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 you put the line out there on Twitter from Circa Sports was like a seventeen point line already for Fresno, something like that. Uh, I don't have the tweet in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it was something like that. Yes, it was. It was huge, and so they're probably not going to win next game. Like, so what did they like? We'll again dissect all this offseason stuff because it's just weird. Like, what do you think is their motivation next? Not motivation. Like, what's going to happen next week? Because I, mean, I think it depends on a couple of things. One, I wonder if if Tavaka Tuioti will will be able to get back under center and finally he dressed, clear right? coach. I think he did. Yeah. So, you know, if they can get him back, that could be a huge boost for them. By the way, it's only a um, nine-point favorite for Fresno State. That seems Only low. nine? Yeah, it seems a bit low there. That does seem a bit low. All I right. wonder if it's just because of the, the uncertainties. Josh, um, let me send you ten bucks. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, but if they aren't without him, then I think I would say, you know, yes, this was a nice win. But like we said at the top, this was a weird weekend where a lot of teams won when maybe they should not have. And New Mexico was one of those. You know, we, we mentioned as far as post-game win expectancy, it was basically Nevada, San Diego State, and New Mexico, who were the three teams that kind of, you know, I, I always hesitate to say they stole a victory, but, you know, when you look back at how the game unfolded, by win expectancy, they stole it. And so, yes, this was a nice win, but, it, I mean, if they're going to have to go forward with one last game with their fifth-string quarterback. That's a problem. That's a big ask. And it's, but, it's, a, it's also know, uncertainties. Like, injuries happen. Like, this isn't opt-outs. This isn't transfers. This isn't COVID. They, they came with the guys they had. And it's just unfortunate mm-hmm. circumstances. Are, this is – yeah, they won a game with their fifth-string fifth string quarterback. The guy who was at the New Mexico high school playing football last year. Come on. Give him a mm-hmm. – it's a huge deal. Like, it's, it could also be like a, uh, um experience type of deal. But, like, any coach who deal with this, first-year or 20-year experience guy, it's going to have struggle and win the game. And – like they were, well, I guess it's right. They stole the game a little bit, but like they, well, they did enough to win. That's what I'm. What's what it comes down to? They made more plays than Wyoming did, and that's how they got the win. Yes, exactly. So we'll see how next year goes and all this stuff. But like, it'll be a tough, tough game next week versus Fresno. But like, what about Wyoming? Like, really quick, we'll wrap this up here on this. They have their one last game, Boise State, where we didn't mention Boise State, but I guess we'll do the tiebreaker thing now. So it's is it basically because the Mountain West put a tweet out which I think is should be correct because they they should know what they're doing. Boise win, they're in. Um, Fresno win or not Fresno? Sorry, Boise win, they're in. Nevada or San Jose State win, they're in. Right? Is that how it works? So okay, so, sorry. Maybe so I wrote an right. article. On, I wrote an article about this this morning, and I've been spending the entire day worrying that I got it wrong. It's the worst. Um, but according, okay, so according to the Mountain West tweet. Boise State wins, they're in. San Jose State wins, they're in. So that's pretty straightforward. Yes. For Nevada to get in, they need to beat San Jose State, obviously. Mm-hmm. They also need Boise to beat Wyoming. Beat Wyoming. 
They need Boise to win. Why is that? The three-way okay, tie so, because the stupid one loss. If they have those same one loss, it's so. If it comes down to so it comes down to the whole one loss thing being treated as equal. So in the, in the event that Wyoming beats Boise State, what that means is all three teams have one loss. And then you have to start going to tiebreakers, and that's a whole god-awful mess. But I think essentially what that comes down to in the long run is that Boise and, – and, and I think that the tiebreaker that would ultimately make the Hawaii difference game, here, right? Hawaii, it's the only team that all three teams have played. But they've all beaten all three. They've all beaten Hawaii. No, Nevada lost. Oh, I'm looking at Wyoming here. Sorry, my bad. My mistake. You're right. I'm, for me, I have the Wyoming schedule up. Ah, so no, the, you're and I think okay. And I think where I got tripped up was just where where head to head and win percentage stop making a difference, and where these tiebreakers come into play. And I think if it's just meant to be like, okay, these three teams have one loss, we have we go straight to tiebreakers. You know, then yeah, um, in that case, Nevada, by virtue of the only of the three teams to have lost to Hawaii, I think that's the tiebreaker that would bump them in favor of Boise State and San Jose State. So, yes, on its face, a seven and one team missing out would be very strange in favor of a five and one and a four and one team. But uh, you know, strange bedfellows. So, what do you feel about that? Do you think there's? I I can see both sides of it, but you are. There's ways to look at it. Nevada was able to play every game, right, if they do this? Yes. Boise could not, some of their fault, some of not their fault. San Jose State, I believe, not their fault, correct? Uh, not that I can recall, no, because when they got canceled with Fresno, Fresno yeah. it was because the Bulldogs had their own COVID concerns. Yeah. So how does that work out? Like I I don't want to penalize scene for guys getting sick just because it happens, even if you're being as careful as possible. I it just... I don't like it. That's what I've come down to. I don't think it's fair that a team that actually played games for whatever reason and won more games than you is considered the same just because they have a loss. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's fair? Like, is this a way to figure it out fair to everybody involved? Yeah, man. I mean, see, what they said. Okay, so I went back and I looked at the document because the very first thing it says is that the two teams that complete the conference season with the highest winning percentages will be the participants. And then it says, comma, they have the same amount of losses. Yeah, and then that makes it seem like it's a second thing. Unbalanced schedule where there's a tie for the best record in the loss column, and it's like, I don't think they anticipated this. Because how could they not? When you go, when you how go, could you not you anticipate go, okay. this? Come on. <laughs> and that, I think that's a very good point because when you look at the document that the Mountain West put out there, and I've included it in both of the articles I wrote about this over the last week or so. When you look at the document, they included some examples mm-hmm. that, you know, if things happen like this, then this would happen. So there, but, but of the examples that they laid out there, none of them are like what we're facing here. You know, it's like, you know, one team A has one loss, team B has zero losses, but have played fewer games. Team C is also undefeated and played fewer games, but team B and team C would win because they go undefeated. Like this is not the this is not a situation that the Mountain West prepared for, and so if things unfold this way, where Nevada wins, but Hawaii win, or but Wyoming wins too, mm. the optics on this could look very ugly. You know, it really okay. This is going to be harsh, but I'm going to say it because Raj brought this up in our preseason stuff, our Twitter stuff. Like, hey, what like these scenarios, which 
Like, if you were dumb to think, if Craig Thompson and whoever decided to make the decision to make these rules, like, if you would think there would be not this scenario, or if you thought every game would be played, you're out of your dang mind because we knew that wasn't going to be the case. Like, to do eight games in eight weeks, essentially, was not going to happen. But, mm-hmm. and Raj kind of half kidding, well, what if a team, like, there's all the stupid, oh, Boise doesn't play San Jose State to have a better record. What if they don't play and back out? Like, we know that's not the case. And with Boise's situation, it's mostly because they have season-long injuries on top of COVID. It takes fewer cases to not have enough available players to play. So, mm-hmm. like, New Mexico barely has enough quarterbacks to play. It sucks. Would this have been a proper thing to put in? If your team, if you're the reason the game's being canceled for COVID that and the game doesn't be played, should that be counted against you if there's a tie like this? Like, I don't think that's too far-fetched to say, hey, boys, boy, okay, you've had issues. I don't care. It's it's hard. And you're not doing it on purpose. You're not going out doing Well, some teams have done irresponsible things across the country. Not There's a handful here and there. Like, there's been some NFL stuff. We've all seen it out there. Russian Field and Notre Dame. But let's just say, like, I'll use Boise State example because they've had issues or, and they're in the mix for this. For them having to back out of a game and not play because of too many COVID issues, should that have been considered in this situation where they're at the back of the line over Nevada if they all have one loss because they're the reason they didn't play the game? I mean, I'll answer your question with a question. Oh, come on. And I don't, <laughs> and I don't think there's any indication that this is going to happen. Change the rules like Big Ten? I was, yes. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to ask. And for those of you who aren't familiar, the Big Ten, they haven't done it officially yet, but I think they're considering changing their rules to enable Ohio State to play in their conference championship game. They should totally do it. And I think it's mostly because they want that sweet, sweet playoff money. And they can't get it if Ohio State's not there. I don't blame them. Do you? Do you think the Mountain West would consider doing the same thing if this happens? (laughs) Um, You know why they won't? Because... People will freak out from Boise State, and that lawsuit will be back on the table in five seconds, possibly, for the uh, TV money and how the wording of that would be. If they were, let's just say the near six was on the table, because it's clearly not, even with the undefeated San Jose State, because you need Coastal to not win their conference, and Cincinnati to probably, it probably not going to happen, because Tulsa, well, whatever. Unless Cincinnati wins this week versus Tulsa, then Tulsa comes back and beats them. Like, it takes long to get there. If they were in that running for that spot, I could see them making adjustments for good of the conference. Mm-hmm. Would people like it? Not if you're the team that gets left out. But then again, here's the thing, too. Boise State, they can win and get in. It doesn't matter. They don't have losses. So they could, even if that was the case where they want to tweak the rules and say it was a, but all you have to do is win. If you're undefeated, you're undefeated. Like, mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. Like, if it's 5 and 0 and 7 and 1, you're still 5 and 0. I don't care. You're going in. But if you have the loss, and your team had to not play games because you had COVID issues on your side, unfortunate as it is, I'd rather take the team that was able to play games. But if it's your opponent, like the opposite side, like San Jose State versus it wasn't their fault where they didn't play the games. I wouldn't put that against them. It's kind of harsh, but that's, I think, another way to maybe make it fair. But I, I don't think they'll change the rules. I think they're just hoping Boise and, Boise and San Jose State both win and get in. I think they're crossing their fingers that happens. They had better make sure that both of those games get played. <laughs> exactly. That's I mean, that's the bare minimum at least. Because if one of those games gets canceled, then then somebody's and probably Nevada fans are they're gonna it's let's put it this way, it's very rife for conspiracy theories if both of these games don't get played next weekend. People already think Boise gets well, they already do get more money if their T V deal. 
They think they get calls and stuff like that, which, come on, get over yourself. It doesn't happen. The money thing, you can have a gripe about that. I think it's fairly warranted, but you can. I'll listen to your argument and say why that shouldn't be the case anymore due to their um, lack of going to a near six game since, what, 2015? Like, they haven't been as big as a team, as big as a draw. Maybe draw for TV ratings. That's probably that's the reason why. But, like, if you're basing, like, on-field success – and they get the benefit here because of the way the rules are put in. And they and clearly, hear me out, they're not put in because, hey, we want to make sure Boise gets there. They were put in for what they felt was the most fair. But I felt they could have gone a step further. And, and look, like, they had to look at this scenario, right? Like, for who played and didn't play? I know there's – okay, here's probably why it doesn't, maybe not happen, Matt. They probably didn't think San Jose State would be undefeated. I, th- I don't <laughs> think they thought that this many games would get canceled, honestly. Oh, please. I don't think so, because if you look at all the examples, they're basically like, oh, basically every single scenario. The, the, like six the, wins, the, minimum, six games minimum, right? <laughs> seven games minimum. Please. Ugh. Like the, the average number is seven, so teams had to have played at least five. I don't think they expected it to get this far, or the se- or rather this, the overall season to get this degraded and cause such disparities in the win-loss column. We'll end there because I don't want to yell and rant again, but you're idiots for thinking you can play this many games. It's like, it's clearly obvious. Like, I, there's no more nothing else for me to say. It was obvious that I would have expected. I'm honestly, I'm, I am very surprised there, most teams have gotten six conference games in. I'm mm-hmm. more surprised that happened than less. I'm surprised we're still playing football at the moment. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's just my thought. But like, my any scenario would have, I would have probably started with. My best case scenario, like, well, it could be all eight, obviously, but they should have gone down to five games if teams were to play anywhere from five to eight games. Like, Nevada's lucky to play eight games. But, uh, all right, we'll talk about this more tiebreaker stuff because we meant to make it for another podcast, but we just got into it too much, Matt. That's okay. Yeah. All right, MWR.com. Check it out. We have recaps, previews, basketball's coming up. And don't ask me and Andy to go through all the cancellations to basketball because we're going to miss some. So, do your <laughs> own. a lot. Hey, I'm we probably shouldn't be. We probably shouldn't be doing that either. But we are. Yeah. Um, Rick Pitino, I own a college where I attended for a couple of years. He has the right plan. So is Dick Vitale, saying ESPN. Um, you know, yes, folks. February basketball. Like, ugh, don't get me started. Basketball shouldn't be playing right now either, just because of you know we're all getting sick here, right? That's our show for today. Gestures to everything. We'll we'll end up that awesome note there. We'll be back Wednesday for the final week of Mountain West Play, and we'll probably discuss the tiebreaker again. We'll probably get something more succinct a little bit. I think we're fairly on track to get it properly done and so everybody understands. But, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time, and have a good rest of your week. And uh, it's not too early to say Merry Christmas or Happy Hanukkah, so have a great December as best you can, I guess.